This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. My guest today, he hails out of Florida. He's an MHP expert, finance expert. He's also an attorney. Uh, excited to have him on here today for this conversation. Please help me welcome my guest, Ray Mazzi. Ray, thanks for coming on, man. Of course. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And it's, uh, it's good to be on the podcast. I've seen a few of them and you're doing good work. So thank you for that, first and foremost. Yeah, you got it, man. As we were talking about earlier, I, I've never met you in person, but it feels like I know you because we are always, we're always seeing each other on LinkedIn and, you know, and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I follow what your fund is doing and it looks like a lot of good stuff, especially in MHP. But maybe tell us a little more about your background and how you got into MHP world and, and what you guys do over there. Yeah, so like a lot of other people, I'm sure it was a winding, well, it was a winding road for me. Um, Originally graduated from law school and business school, spent a little bit of time um, working in the the government sector or the government side, I should say, um, and then jumped from there into the private side where I was an attorney for about a year and then ended up in a small agricultural startup in South Florida. Um, Fast forward a year and a half. Uh, my time there was was complete. I did all I needed to do, and I was happy to move on and start my own thing. I've always wanted to do real estate, so um, basically got together with a few with one other partner of mine. We went around, uh, created a thesis that we thought would work in regard to real estate, and and also a little bit of public securities trading as well. Um, and then we went and raised a little bit of capital and, and decided that we wanted to really focus on workforce housing. Um, and really the reason we ended up in the manufactured housing space was, I mean, to be quite frank with you, the, the yield was there a couple of years ago, um, a few years ago, and it was really attractive to look at um, existing parks and all that kind of stuff. But what ended up happening was um, those yields compressed really quickly um, and then we decided, you know, with our, with my legal background, my partner is also a lawyer, but we both are, you know, lawyers by education, not really by trade. Um, we knew we could navigate the the uh, the entitlement process. And everybody out there, you know, knows how, how little the new developments are coming around, and and how apparently, you know, one percent or more of parks disappear every year. Um, everybody, everybody knows the stats. So. Um, long story short, we saw the yield in the sector. And then as the yields began to compress, we figured let's go to the part where, you know, let's become niche. Let's where the yield still exists, of course. And um, let's use our unique skills as, as attorneys, um, underwriters, for lack of better terms, and, um, and sponsors. So, uh, you know, it's really, I talked to other people, it's really just a, a big management game um, when it comes to development or, or any real uh, large scale business venture. So as much as I want to take the credit for, for everything that we've been able to accomplish, really, it's the team under me. I'm just smart enough to make sure that I hire the right people. No, that's great. And for those of our listeners that don't understand entitlement, I mean, by entitlement, you're meaning getting the approvals, de- development approvals, permitting approvals, zoning approvals, any construction yep. approvals for creating new mobile home parks, manufacturing housing communities. Exactly. 
Exactly. It's usually, you know, you get the land that's either ag or some type of other, you know, uh, in unfavorable zoning for what we want to do. Um, we go in there, we tell a good story, um, and we let, let the commissioners know that we're here to bring them down, you know, bring them something that they need, um, and especially, that the, more importantly, that the community needs. And, um, you know, we get it rezoned, then we go in for construction permits or do whatever mitigation we have to before then, whether it's, you know, over here in Florida, we got a lot of gopher tortoises and other types of protected species, whether they be uh, trees or, or actual animals. But, um, you know, we get all that stuff out of the way and then we get it shovel ready and we decide whether or not we want to be the, the end developer as well, or if we'd like to, you know, pass on the, the property to somebody else who's, who's ready to develop it. We take our cash off the table there. No, it's, it's a great business model. You're one of those, you're one of the few guys in the industry that, that make me and other guys look like liars when we say nobody's building trailer parks. <laughs> it's like you guys are building them, right? It's, uh, and, yeah. And I know they're being built. There's not very many, right? There's, there's not, you're not building mm -hmm. 500 this year, right? You might no. have your pads in one park, but you're not building that. Nobody's building 500 this year. No, you wouldn't be able to bring in the units anyway. So we have um, three, well, let me correct myself. We had three properties under contract that, that we really liked. We've since closed, like since we, when we first started and raised our capital and deployed it, we've since closed on, um, two of those properties. Um, and then we have the third one, we, we had to let go. It was just too costly. The numbers didn't work. Um, we really try to keep our site development under two at about 200 units or pads max, just because the supply chain risk and, and the stabilization risk and all that comes along with doing that. Now, don't get me wrong. We'll buy properties that are set for 600 pads. We'll get them you know, all entitled and everything, but we would phase out in, in phases maximum of 200. So anyway, this property only allowed for around 200 and um, it just didn't, the numbers didn't work. So sadly I had to fork up my security deposit and, and all the capital I pursuit capital as some people call it, but um, well worth it. Just part of the game. Right. No, I used to do development, retail development and pursuit costs were, intimidating right it's it's a, it's a big number of a lot of projects we had, we had a project that, and we're in for i don't even remember what it was four hundred fifty five hundred thousand dollars like, oh, yeah it was, it was a 50 million dollar project so it was and the other guy was putting up the cash i had i had, I had a minority interest so it, mm -hmm. but it was it was not for the faint of heart and he, he left it all on the table and he's like this is part of doing business it was it was hard to get get that mindset but like you know, but from a mobile home, a regular mobile home park buyer, you've got pursuit costs they are just less, right? It's, you know, you're making, oh, yeah. I made 10 phone calls yesterday, cold calls. Well, none of them worked out. That was pursuit cost, my opportunity cost. Yeah. Cost. You've got mm -hmm. engineering costs, architectural costs, legal costs, you know, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, yep, exactly. And we, we do our best. I mean, for people out there, I'm sure everybody's wondering, or not everybody, a lot of people are interested in doing the side, like how much pursuit cost do I really factor out? I'll be honest with you. I really, it's hard, you know, every project is different, but really I like to cap it at 150,000. Um, if I'm pursuing something due to the fact that I want to do a lot of these, um, obviously if I wanted to do less then that would be different. Right. And so let me take, take us through that, that go, no go decision process. And I've been involved in projects where it's, it's, a, it's the last wire and we had a project approved by the city council. And then the mayor vetoed it. So even though we were, we were that far along, and then in order to overcome the mayor's veto, we had to go back and get a supermajority, and we couldn't get the supermajority. 
So it's like we went through all that process, engineer plans, architecture, survey, legal, uh, you have bank approval, uh, lots mm -hmm. of poli lots of politicking. I don't know the every jurisdiction, I don't know your jurisdiction in Florida, but typically on the yeah. plan plan commission stuff, so you sit, usually sit it's usually volunteer citizens. We cannot lobby them, but on city council, typically you're allowed to lobby them and go give them your dog and pony show. Yeah, and, and, if, and you kind of count the votes. I used to work for a guy who was a COO of Jackson County here in Kansas City, and and I was the math guy, right? And I was doing all these development assumptions and pro formas and all this stuff. And he just said, the only number that counts is five out of nine city council. Five votes. Yeah. Five. He goes, if I yeah. get to five, I don't care what the rest of the numbers look like, right? And and, and I learned that, you know, learned that in some other projects. How does that process look? Um, I've not done a new MHP development. I've done, we're in the middle of doing a, um, an expansion, but I've not done a new MHP development. So I'm interested in how, how that's worked for you and in what jurisdiction, because I know you're in Florida. I'm all your parks yeah. in Florida. Yeah, that's where, I, that's where I'll stay for the rest of my life if I can when it comes to business, to be honest with you. If I could plug for anything here, it'd be for the state of Florida. Um, I definitely think that there's tons of tons of room to grow here. Um, there's tons of land in Florida. Weather's great. You know, the climate for business is even better. So um, when it comes to really figuring out a go or, or no-go decision for me, just so everybody knows, I used to work for the governor here in the state of Florida for a little bit as a fellow um, and worked at a few state agencies as well after that, one of which being uh, Florida Housing Finance Corporation, which is an affordable housing tax credit allocation agency for the state. Um, so anyway, that's one thing that, that we also do that's unique. We, we would attempt to do LIHTC um, credits on properties if, if the uh, situation was right. But to, stay, to go back to your question, the go or no go decision is really simple. It's just asking, you, really looking at why they would turn it down and you know you just have to put your commissioner hat on or, or council member hat on and what what we look at is for properties and i don't ever look to walk uphill so i'll just go find a property that's in a place where i know they're on their strategic plan they're looking for workforce housing or they have opportunity zones which are obviously meant for affordable housing and and business opportunity um you know i kind of go to where the legislation is already tilted in my favor in one shape way shape or form and um from there uh we begin to ask the questions of of you know every council whichever um official county city whichever one it is that's in charge so is the first thing you need to do is figure out who's in charge we just go check out um exactly we, we contact them right away until you put in some type of zoning application you're still allowed to speak to these individuals about your project and you're just we're just very blunt and very honest and and we tell them this is why we think it's a good idea can you please tell us you know why you would think it would bad would be bad or why it wouldn't be good for the community or why it wouldn't be good for your your district or whatever it is and um, I tell everybody, I'm like, I'm just looking for certainty, whether or not, you know, certainty that we can do it or certainty that we can't do it. I really, I don't want to sound crass here, but I just don't care. I mean, one way or the other, I'll move on. I'll find the next project. If it were up to um, me, you know, making a certain project work or not, it's really me not being able to bet on myself to, to go find another one. And, you know, I'm young. I'm only 28 and definitely trying to do these and for a long, long time. So, um, we don't ever like to work uphill is what I say. And it's pretty easy to find out if you're honest with the commissioners and council members, which is huge. You just have to be honest. Even if you know they're going to hate your idea, you need to know. 
Um, cause trying to be the guy who pushes through and getting vetoed and, and all these types of things, it, it happens all the time. Um, because people usually portray a story that isn't exactly true or has the ability to change, you know, at the tip of a hat. So, um, my, it simply put is contact who's ever in charge of that district immediately, tell them your exact plan and, uh, you know, go from there. They'll tell you whether or not, whether or not they think it's a good idea. They, they have no reason to fib, you know, they, they get nothing out of that. So um, that's, that's how we approach it. It's with, it's with honesty, a good story, and then listening very, very well to what they're concerned about. No, that's, that's good stuff. I'm curious, you know, too, as, you, as, you're, as you're pitching these the city officials, the county officials, are, what level of product are you promising? I mean, I, my assumption is new build, new construction. You probably got more double wides, yeah. than that, more double wides, more amenities, uh, yeah. less less dwellings per unit, um, just higher class, uh, maybe even senior only. So I don't know. I mean, I'm curious mm-hmm. in what you promised them. I'm curious what your your cost per pad typically is for infrastructure. Maybe take land out of it because that's going to be the location specific, but just infrastructure and um, things of that sort. Yeah. So. Um... We don't have any 55 plus communities yet. Nothing like that. Um, can't really relate to the age group as well as I can to, to other <laughs> types of workforce. Yeah, to other types of workforce um, tenants. But uh, to to get to your question, we, we look at usually like four units per acre. They're all double wides. They're they're definitely every place out there. If you're buying a new unit, um, they're gonna look they're gonna look great from the outside. Yeah. I mean, that's really what the community is most concerned about. It's up to the tenant what they want to, you know what I mean, how they want to live on the inside. Um, and that's a bet that we're making. It's not a bet that the community has to make. You know, as the, as the capital providers, we're making the bet that the tenant will like the inside. Um, as much as cur- I would believe in curb appeal, when people, when you're talking about a workforce tenant, if they're not necessarily as concerned about curb appeal, they're concerned about values for their do- value for their dollar. Um, and we don't really talk about what we're, delivering as much as people might think uh, usually people get stuck up on the whole idea about it we end up talking more probably about like the amenities and things like that um, the units are kind of like cur- a cursory review because when you show a unit in a pamphlet it's beautiful i mean they're all beautiful um it's really all these units i don't think it comes down to and i'm not as experienced as other guys some people probably think this is a dumb statement but i really don't think they're that different when it comes to um, the unit as a whole. They're all certified the same way. The, the finishes can be upgraded in all of them. I think really it's durability and craftsmanship that makes the difference in these units. Um, some people can argue with me on that, um, but you know, there's certain certain companies out there that use like two by sixes or two, or two sets of two by four. That that isn't really that's not something that, you know, another company can't produce. So what I'm saying is that it's not like anybody has superior inputs. It's the way in which they, they assemble and manufacture those inputs. And um, we would obviously never buy units that wouldn't be zoned. We're in Florida. We have to be hurricane grade units. So, you know what I mean? Everything's hurricane grade. All those units are pretty nice. So it's just um, really not a big topic of conversation after we show um, a nice rendering of a few units that we're looking for. And once you talk about the square footage that somebody gets for that price, it's a, it's a totally different conversation. You're, 
as much as that could be a red herring, I mean, it's not that important to the, um, to the people that I speak to. Um, and maybe that's because I tell a good story about other stuff and that's just not a major concern, but, um, I think it's key to make sure that's why when you start the conversation with why would you not want this and what are the problems, that's where everything stays. That's where the conversation stays. They don't have the opportunity or really, I shouldn't say they don't have the opportunity. They do have the opportunity, but they don't have the same impetus to go searching for little things like what, what type of siding are you going to have? You know, are there going to be porches, this, that, and the other thing they're more concerned about. Here's the major issues that we've all agreed upon the last, the first and last time we spoke let's address those first. And then once those are all addressed and you're arguing over, you know, window coverings and things like that, it's, you know, I mean, it's almost a done deal. So that's kind of how we approach it. Now that makes sense. And I mean, for those our listeners that aren't aware four dwelling units per acre is going to be pretty spread out compared to the average park. That's, yeah, yeah, it's that's quarter acre per, per unit. You're looking at a, a pad that's like, you know, 30 by whatever. It depends on a lot of them are different depths. Call it, 30 by 80, something like that. So pretty, pretty, it's, pretty spacious for sure. And highly mm-hmm. amenitized. I'm curious, do you, do you block them and skirt them or you put them on ground sets? So r- really, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm a, the, the best developer um, or most experienced. We're actually going to lay down pads, um, concrete pads and, and do it that way. And, and then block, basically these things have to be anchored down. So they're blocked up and then anchored down by all the hurricane straps. Um, but I will say uh, a general partner of mine is looking into this um, like alternative option that has some type of plat- like hardened plastic component. You don't have to lay the whole pad. Um, but, and, yeah, honestly, that's kind of out of my wheelhouse. I, I always try to make sure that, you know, I don't speak outside my wheelhouse. But um, if it were just me, I'd start with pads. But that other option is uh, more cost effective. And if it's allowed by the County, which I'm fairly certain it is, cause I see them all around my neighborhood already. Um, then we'll probably go with that option. Got it. Makes sense. And you mentioned earlier, you may not be the end, end, end builder and developer. So yeah. So basically what you're saying there is you may just get the entitlements on these parks tee it up. You know, if you took, you, but you basically the land developer, you try to buy by the acre and sell by the foot, or in this case, buy by the ag, ag ground, and sell by the. Yeah, it's all a pad. It's a neighborhood. Yep, it's and, all a pad equation. You know, it comes down to how much did you know? I'm, I'm friends just to get everybody else's brokers and things like that. Um, I get my appraisals from a bank that substantiate you know the the costs I'm putting into the property before I even bring it to the bring it to the market. Um, but you know, it, it's about what you can fetch for that pad and how much money you had to put in to entitle it. And, um, really what I do is I underwrite the whole thing as if I were going to develop it and I actually assemble the team to develop it because you need the engineers, the architects anyway, and you might as well bring in a CM, a construction manager or a GC to, uh, to be on board in the pre-construction phase for value engineering and all that kind of stuff. So, um, anyway, we bring in that, we assemble that whole team and, and I, and I underwrite the deal as if I were going to develop it. And then once I do that, I know, you know, I know how much I can push my land costs up to. And then once I hear my, what my broker says, if my broker says it's way higher than what I would need to push it to, then I'm like, yeah, let's put it on the market and see what that spread, see if I can land in between that spread. Um, so anyway, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. And when you were talking earlier, I never answered your question on like how many dollars I put into a pad. Um, it is 
extremely dependent on where you're at, but and it, it obviously it directly correlates to how much of in a paper lot is worth in your area. But really, I like to look at it all in. You you don't want to be more than like sixty thousand dollars in a pad. Um, and I know that that's um, that's maybe high or low for some people, depending upon where you are. But sure. I'm, I think really what it comes down to for me is I, it's all, it's basic real estate in the first place. It's location and your, your money is made on the buy. If you overpay for property, you're in so much trouble. And I've had property that, you know, I got for like dirt cheap to, to make a pun here. And um, it, it it has helped me so much because that project has gotten gotten away from us in a couple of ways, but it was able to be absorbed because our basis was so strong on a per unit basis. And really that's how you're looking at it. Everything in, in economics is, is unit economics. If you don't understand your unit economics, then you're in trouble. So it's, I don't look at things as how much for a parcel or how much for this. It's, you know, it's what's my basis in an, in a paper lot. What's my basis in an, in, in a developed pad. What's my basis in a, you know, a rented out, um, unit. And then I can, you know, see where my economies of scale hit, see how much debt I can support, see what type of yield I can get out of it. And, and we take it from there. And without unit economics, you're flying completely blind. No, all good, all good stuff. Makes sense. Yeah. 60,000 a lot. And that's definitely going to be location specific because I mean, the, the park I'm expanding in Illinois, you know, the park's only worth 30,000 a lot occupied. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. I could, obviously I could never spend, I can't spend 60,000 a lot developing. Now in that case, I already had utilities there. I didn't, I didn't I'm in, I'm in a yeah. county without zoning approvals. I've already, oh, the dirt's already mine, came with the rest of the park. Right. So, so I've got an artificial yeah. cost center there, but you got to mm-hmm. recognize that if you're going to do development and that's why I do, I do retail is like, look at the cost and then look at the hidden cost. What did I forget? Oh, I forgot about commissions right i forgot about construction interest or yeah. you know you know you got to make sure you got all those costs in the in the hopper to uh you know better analyze definitely we're on the coast here in florida so it's a little bit different oh, yeah. um but one thing i can say is you're you, you want to be right around that 30 grand that you were talking about and everything yeah. that's where you know what i mean that's where you want to be 60 is just that that max where i think um you know anything over that i just be like yeah no way um that's that's just us what are lot rents in those markets six seven hundred more than even i think we have them pro forma at like we're pretty conservative we try to stay really conservative it's just the best way to be um i think we have them pro forma around 600 maybe 650 um but it that can change really quickly you know are you east or west of 95 are you east or west of the intracoastal um stuff like that yeah okay cool that's that's good stuff on development. What other what other tips or or you know good stories or, or, or horror stories do you have you want to share as far as something that you know, you've learned in, in your whether in the MHP business or in your other career experience that uh, you think be good for our listeners? Yeah, I mean that that point about the unit economics is definitely the most important thing I ever learned. But um, I think the biggest gift I ever was given was just my ability to relate to people and talk to people and really put myself in their shoes. So instead of giving some hyper-technical tip that somebody could run with or probably learn from Google, um, I think really the best thing you can do is just do better to, to understand the other person on the side of the table um, that you're negotiating with It's just um, or talking to or whatever. Uh, you can usually always help somebody 
um, in one way or another. And that I've found that that comes full circle almost every time. So what I would say is, you know, if you can, you should, um, when it comes to meeting people, like whether that's getting on the phone with them, um, going to have lunch with them, scary to some these days, but, um, you know, if you, if, or, you know, doing something as simple as connecting them with somebody they may need or, or whatever it is, um, doing simple favors for people, um, in your industry and make sure that it, it's one way, one way to first and foremost help somebody, but a second way to signal to, to them and to other people that, you know, you're, you're a reasonable person that, that would do something nice for somebody if it weren't too much of cost to you, just like anybody else. Um, and then they're probably more inclined to reach back out to you when they think, Hey, maybe this is something that they may be interested in, or maybe they can help me on or whatever it is. I found that, you know, being the resource, obviously, you know, that. that's why you, I don't want to presume too much here about you, but I'm sure that's why you did this podcast as well. It's, uh, you know, being the resource is a resource in and of itself to, to you. So, um, you know, whenever you can attract people's attention, whether, whether uh, you're doing it through kind gestures or, or just, you know, being a networking, uh, being somebody who's into networking, it's, um, it's going to pay dividends far in advance. And I think that's what's happened to me the most is, I've been able to cultivate um, deals and opportunities and, and capital simply because um, I pick up the phone or whenever somebody calls me, um, you know, I give them the time of day. I don't put, I don't ever push people on the, off the phone. And um, it's, it's definitely the best thing you can do for yourself and for your business. No, that's a, I, I agree. That's a great tip. I mean, just treat people the way you want to be treated, right? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, golden rule. And it works so much in sales for sure. And it works in, coaching it works in team development leadership development it works with clients i got a story one of my, my old boss landed one of the biggest five apartment developers in the country and the guy called him and said hey i'm one of the biggest five guys in the country and my lawyer takes two or three days to call me back he goes i feel like i'm kind of a big deal if i called you today and you were my lawyer how long would it take to call you call me back he goes well, i'd call you <laughs> I'd call you today. And if I, if I got out of meetings late, I'd call you at 8 a.m. He goes, okay, you're hired. I mean, and he's just like, that was it. Just the guy wanted to be treated well and, and responsive and um, kind of derivative of what you're talking about. Do, do yeah, I mean, it's just like when you go to a restaurant, you know, it's, it's not the, the waiter can't control the, the food or anything like that, but they can always control how you feel and how you've been treated and all that kind of stuff. So um, I try to be the same way. I can't always bring the best deal or provide the service they need or whatever it is, but I can always, you know, speak to them and, and, uh, and smile and be a good guy. And, and that's what I try and do. Um, definitely burns me a couple of times here and there, but in the end, you know, it's cheaper to learn up front than it is to learn down the road with people. So that's kind of how I treat it and how I was raised. And it really has just fared very well because people are more inclined to help me and, um, it just has really helped build my Rolodex in a short period of time in this industry. I really haven't been in this, in this industry too long. All right. Just good stuff. Any other tips or comments before we go? Uh, if not, uh, how, where else can people find you? No, no, nothing more. I mean, I'm always available by email and definitely on LinkedIn all the time. And so my email is Ray at southernwaterscapital.com. And um, anybody can go to southernwaterscapital.com, fill out an investor form, and um, you can 
we can take it from there. Basically, we'll we'll set up a time to speak with you and and see if we're a right fit for each other. And um, if you don't want to do anything with the fund or anything like that, you just want to pick my brain or want to show me a deal or or whatever it is, please reach out. Um, I'm a normal guy, just like anybody else, and I'm always looking to yeah, always looking to find opportunities and and meet good people. All right, sounds good, Ray. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Fred. I really do appreciate everything you do for the industry and and, uh, and for me personally. So thanks. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.